Good morning. We are so glad to have you here this morning as we begin to worship together uh, at Glenlock Baptist Church. We just have a few announcements we'd like to make you aware of. Um, tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll have a hymn sing here in the sanctuary um, as, as, our, as our evening worship. So if you're interested in that, that is tonight at 6 o'clock. Um, here in the main sanctuary is where the adults will meet for a hymn sing. Um, so make plans to join us tonight. Uh, we will have kids and students tonight as well. So uh, all of those things happening once again here on campus. Next Sunday, uh, following our morning worship service, we're going to have a, an event for our kids called Fishing with Friends. So if you are uh, anywhere ages birth to fifth grade, you and your family are invited to join us at the Busby home for lunch, fishing, and crafts. That's right after services um, on next Sunday, the 24th. So if you have any questions about that, you can see myself or um, Lee, and uh, she'll give you the directions to her house because <laughs> that's where we're going to be uh, next Sunday. In a couple of weeks, our students will be having a mission emphasis week, which is October 12th and 13th. It's fall break for almost every school in our area, and uh, we're going to do a couple of local missions as a youth group. Uh, just to express our, our faith in, in service. So that's going to be something happening on during fall break, October 12th and 13th. So if you have any questions about that, you can see me as well. And I'll have more information on that to come. One other announcement, or two more, one other announcement I wanted to make regarding our ministries um, here at the church is on October 22nd, we're going to have a lunch and a meeting around family discipleship. Um, as the family life pastor, I feel like God's placed it on my heart to um, both encourage and equip our parents to, to take on and, and to serve in the, in the mandate that the Bible gives us of family discipleship. So we're going to have a time of lunch where the whole family is invited to come to lunch. And then if you need child care, there'll be child care available. And us as parents will meet and uh, have a, just have a time that I want to encourage you of what the Bible says family discipleship looks like and begin a conversation around how we can do that well um, as a church. And so I feel a burden for this as a father um, and also just as your family life pastor to help us come around this idea of how do we disciple our children and how do we do it well. So I really encourage you to be there. If you'd like a, a sheet um, that has more information on it, those are available in the back. You can sign up online or there's a sign up sheet in the back um, but I, I greatly encourage you to be a part of that. Um, I think it's going to be a very informative, but also just a good day for us to come together and get on the same page when it comes to family discipleship, which is just so important um, for our families. And so the last announcement is we are soon beginning backpacks for Appalachia. So if you know of that ministry, that those backpacks are going to be due in October. So there's backpacks in the back. Um, please grab one and fill it and bring it back by October the 15th. And uh, that is when those backpacks are due. All of these announcements are available on our website. So if you have any questions, please go there. Or you can see myself or Neil, and we will point you in the right direction. Is there a reader? Jeff Rude. Neil's, Neil's been missing on telling me who the reader is. So Jeff is going to come and lead us in our call to worship. Thank you, Bryson. Good morning. I always look forward to when I'm, 
I sign up to read because I know what Neil's going to do to me. He's going to throw me over at Paul. Like I said before, sometimes what Paul says goes over my head. Some of it I get, some of it I don't. So he selected for me. Thank you, Neil. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. So I did have time to study on this one a little bit. But it starts out, we have the, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So I'm assuming that he's talking about we have the treasure of the salvation through Jesus Christ in these earthen vessels, our bodies, which basically are clay and they're going to fall apart and crumble, that the surpassing greatness of power may be of God and not from ourselves. I'm taking that as we're not supposed to glorify ourselves. All the glory goes to God. We're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who, are, but for we who live are consistently being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, and he's quoting from Psalms here, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore also we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but, through our, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentarily, light affliction is producing us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And I compared this last part to what, what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. The suffering, and this is what he's talking about. He's talking about that we're going to suffer and uh, because Jesus suffered. But I look at it, like he said in verse, uh, chapter 8 of Romans, verse 18, the suffering we're going through now is not worthy to be compared to what glory is going to be revealed in Christ. And you all know, Neil's mentioned it, but Job is one of my favorite books. And that's what Job said to his wife when his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? And he looked at her and said, are we supposed to just accept good from God and not adversity? So when we go through adversity, just remember what the Christian, two words for Christian is, but not. And that's what he said. He, you know, we're beaten, we're tore down, but not. So we can always rely on the words, uh, but not. So just hang in there, keep the faith. And that's what Paul's trying to tell these people. Keep the faith. Because when it's all said and done, Christians are going to spend eternity in heaven. Where we're not going to have any more problems. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your written word. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness and your love. Thank you that you take the time to listen to your children. And we're so thankful that we can call you Father. Look forward to spending eternity with, with you and all the saints and fellow Christians that have gone before us. We look, look forward to that day. We just invite you into this service today and ask you to bless the music, bless Neil as he delivers the message. 
go with us this week. Be with us and send the lost to us, Lord. And like Paul says, remind us not to preach ourselves or give us glory, but give you the glory that you're due. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stand this morning, we're going to begin singing, I love you, Lord, and Jesus, I love thee. picking these songs this week well when we were picking these songs I was thinking about the fact of how much do we stop and tell God I love you because you know that's a common practice right we tell our children our husband our boy whatever we tell people in our life every day hey I love you but do we really take time to stop and say God I love you and thank you um so as we sing this I hope you kind of just think about that and take the words of this song as a chance to really tell Jesus how much we love him and we're thankful for him
Sometimes Neil has special requests. So when Neil has special requests, you just make them happen. So we're going to sing um, above all this, this week for you this morning.
If you'll stand, we're going to sing We'll Understand It Better by and by. Precious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much for just being a wonderful Father, God, and sending a wonderful Savior, Lord, and giving us a sweet, sweet spirit, God. Lord, this morning, may you just hear us say how much we love you, God. Lord, we love you, and we Let's get this right. Okay. When I was unmuting, that's, that's the reason the feedback was coming through. I, and just so you know, my, my job before I preach is to unmute this thing. And so I like test it, test it. And then this morning I'm like, stop doing that because you're making noise while she's praying. So anyway, all right, let's come back to what we're supposed to, That sounds really good, by the way. Thank you, Randy, uh, for what you do week to week. Hey, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40, beginning with verse 12. Um, last week, Kirk 
Richardson brought our homecoming sermon from the first part of this chapter. And so I've had a couple of weeks to think about the second part of the chapter, which is an incredible passage on the glory and the majesty and the wonder of who God is. So this morning we have a sermon about God, right? Uh, It goes without saying, but so much preaching is man-centered and do better. And we are called to, to do better and to grow and to change. But before we can do better and grow and change, we've got to come back to who God is and see that He truly is above all. Let me give you a little background on why I asked uh, Catherine and Stephanie to sing that song. I requested it. I didn't know who was going to sing it. Uh, but what a beautiful song. First time I ever heard that song, I was on the campus of the University of Georgia. Go dog. We took a group of youth students to a UGA football game. It was one of those easy opponents where they give away a lot of tickets, they put you in the nosebleed. The point, though, was to gather the youth groups together in the Georgia Coliseum where they play basketball. And they had a preacher, and the gospel was presented, and that's the first place I had ever heard that song, above all, sung. And I'm guessing it was probably 15 years ago. And I thought that was such a moving, incredible song. And so I'm working through Isaiah 40, and I thought, man, that that song really complements this text. There are some exact phrases from that song in the scriptures. Well, when we were promoting the Central Hatchie Community Day, which I guess happened, I didn't go, I know it rained a lot, but did that day happen? Did anybody go? Okay, the the guy that was singing wrote the lyrics to Above All, correct? Not correct. Somebody help me. Yes, right? Say yes, all right? I want to see that you're with me. So I thought it was really neat that, that, that the guy that had written that song was, was close by yesterday. And that is a song that has always, I felt, shared the gospel and the glory of God in a clear way. And so I didn't title the message above all, but that would have been a really good idea. But today, the title of the message, The Everlasting God who is truly above all. So let's get to our text. Kirk, last Sunday, preached verses 1 through 11. We are hitting the high points in the book of Isaiah, and this is a section of Scripture that you ought to wear out in your Bibles because this is the perspective that you and I need. J.I. Packer wrote a wonderful book called Knowing God, and in that book, he makes this statement. Those who know God, think great thoughts about God. Those who know God think great thoughts about God. Well, what are the thoughts that you and I are to have about God? Isaiah 40, beginning with verse 12, tells us what you and I must know and think about God. So these are great thoughts about God that are transforming, that are encouraging, that are comforting and follow the gospel that Kirk preached last Sunday in verses 1 through 11. So 
This is basically a Q&A. Now, have any of you ever been to a Q&A where there are questions and answers? I've, I've participated in those. I've asked questions in those. I've given answers in some of those. What's interesting about this section of Scripture is that there are questions and then there are answers. And in every section, there's, there's a question or two or three. And then there are answers following. What's, what's neat is that it's God who is both asking the questions and giving the answers. So we are listening in on God himself presenting to us through Isaiah his own Q&A. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows our sins. He knows our struggles. He asks questions that we ask, and then he gives the answers that we need. So let's pick up in verse 12, and it begins with a question. Who? Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who has marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? Did you pick up the repetitions there of these measuring instruments? An engineer, a builder, measuring, calculating, weighing. Then he says in verse 13, Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has informed him. With whom did he, God, consult? Who gave him understanding? Who taught him? in the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and informed him of the way of understanding. Behold, there's a word, behold, look at this, notice this. The nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up The islands like fine dust, even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. If the whole world was ours and we could give it back to God, that would be an impoverished offering to give because he's just that that great. That's what verse 16 is saying. Verse 17, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. Now, I don't know how much less you can be than less than nothing, but that's about as least as you can go. Then in verse 18, another question. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, A silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skilled craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. Another question, verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? 
Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the vault of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. It, he it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless or void, vain, Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them and they wither. And the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me that I should be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. So why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord? And the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Thanks be to God for the reading of his word. Father, thank you so much that you are the everlasting God. You're truly above all. Father, this is who you are, and we pray that in our heart of hearts, no matter what the circumstances surrounding our lives at the moment may be, that we would lift up our eyes and see and believe and trust in who you are and in who you have revealed yourself to be. Thank you so much for these words that you have spoken through Isaiah your prophet, your servant. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this is a rich, lengthy passage. And to help us frame it and to help us communicate it and understand it well, um, I have an outline. And so I'm going to follow the outline and the structure of the text by saying some things about God that are true and transforming and powerful, and they help us take our eyes off of, for the moment, ourselves and our circumstances in the world around us, and behold the God who is above all. So, my first point this morning is that God's infinite greatness is immeasurable. God's 
greatness is immeasurable. No one can measure his creation. Therefore, certainly, none of us could ever measure the infinite glory of the Creator. Our God is a great God. He's an everlasting God. So he's asking us to look around us. Look around at creation, which speaks day after day and night after night of his majesty and his greatness and his glory. And I love these word pictures here. None of us can measure the waters that are in the hollow of his hand and mark off the heavens or calculate the dust of the earth by measure, weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. If you think about us, you could weigh me. You could tell me how tall I am. Uh, Tracy and I are renovating and remodeling my grandmother's home. People ask me all the time, how's it going? Slow but steady. (laughs) But it's interesting to me how many times when you're walking through a house and looking at different things, has anybody got a measuring tape, right? Have you thought about how often we calculate and measure and add and weigh? That's on our level. But no one could ever put God on a scale. No one could ever say that he is this far and no further. God is infinitely immeasurable. Not only is he immeasurable, but he's unteachable. He's not only omnipotent and omnipresent, but he's omniscient. So God doesn't come to anyone Husbands, he never has to ask for directions, (laughs) all right? God's never lost wandering around, figuring out the way. Who has directed God's Spirit? Who has counseled him or informed him or consulted him? He has infinite wisdom, infinite understanding. He's, He's unteachable. Look at verse 14. Who taught him in the path of justice? Knowledge, understanding. I was encouraged. We took a car to a local mechanic, and this guy was well experienced and very knowledgeable. And I just made a statement. I said, Man, you you know everything about cars, don't you? And in his maturity and wisdom, he said, Oh, no. He says, Nobody knows everything about cars. I appreciated that statement because it reminds us that none of us are complete experts at anything, but God himself is. There's contrast throughout this text between the limitedness of humanity and the complete immeasurable greatness of God. And you and I need to stay humble and, and, and need to stay hungry, uh, remembering who it is that we worship and serve and live for. Look at verse 15. The nations, all the nations, all people groups, and all geographical categories that we have put people groups in. They're just a drop from a bucket compared to God. They, they're like dust on the scales. God lifts up islands like fine dust. 
And then he goes into, look, if we could, if, if, I think it's Isaac Watts who said this, were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be a present far too small. Because love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. What could we give to this immeasurable God? All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. This is the perspective that you and I need in our minds and hearts on a daily basis living in a chaotic world. I think it might have been Corey Tim Boom who said this well, and she experienced it truly in her own personal life, that if you and I spend all of our time looking into ourselves, we will become depressed. If we look at the world around us, we will become distressed. But if we look up to who God is and remember his immeasurable greatness, you and I will be, will be at rest. So Isaiah is telling us God's greatness is immeasurable. Moving on. His glory is immutable. Now, I know that's a kind of a theological fancy word, but it means unchanging, unchanged and unchanging. He is immutable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because in verse 18, he says, well, as you look around at all the options that are out there for you to serve and give yourself to, who is like God? What likeness compares with him? So he pictures in verse 19 someone creating and making idols. Okay? A craftsman casts it, and man, he picks out the best we have to offer. Gold and silver. But again, these are created things. These are man-made things. God is uncreated. He is self-existent. He is independent. He is self-sustaining. And none of us and none of the idols that we could create have those qualities and attributes. Look at verse 20. This guy is trying to pick something that will not, verse 20, rot or totter. A tree that won't rot and an idol that won't totter. What Isaiah is saying is that everything in our lives around us is decaying. Have you noticed that? Everything around us. That's why Jesus said, you need to put your heart and your soul into treasures in heaven because up there, those things don't what? They don't rot. But we have an expiration date on almost everything, right? And you need to take warning because this past week, we bought some milk. <laughs> and I guess I'm the dumbest guy in the world because my wife took one sip. She said, ah! And she handed it to me and I took a taste. I said, ah! <laughs> <You know? laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> Things here are corrupt and cursed and fallen. And everything is decaying. Not only that, but this word totter is also important at the end of verse 20. Wishy-washy, flaky, unpredictable, unreliable, tossed here and there by the wind. 
He is saying that compared to God, everything else is decaying and everything else is wishy-washy. Do not put your soul, your trust, your all. There is no one or no thing like the incredible everlasting God. He is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Kirk told us this last week. The grass withers and the flower fades, but what? The Word of God stands forever because God stands forever. He is immutable. Circumstances change, but God and His Word does not. His glory is immutable. All right, moving on. Number three. His sovereignty is incomparable. His universal sovereignty is incomparable, meaning there is nothing that could ever compare to God's rule, God's reign, and God's supremacy. Again, we're getting ourselves off of our little worlds and onto the fact that he sits above the whole universe, ruling it, sustaining it. Psalm 115 says our God is in the heavens. He's doing exactly as he pleases. So there are four questions in this part with two statements. Now, obviously, there's a lot here. But look at verse 21. It, It sounds like you and I ought to already know this. In fact, Isaiah sounds like we do already know this. Don't you know? Haven't you heard? And the Hebrew there is in the continuous tense. Don't you continually know and don't you continually hear? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He. It's He. It's God. This is His world. This is our Father's world. It's interesting because you and I do know Romans chapter 1 says we know. Everyone knows. But this is the truth that we suppress in ungodliness because we want our way rather than God's way. And this is the truth that Isaiah is keeping. He, he, he's, he's, he's hammering it. He's, he's telling us, don't you know from the beginning God, in the beginning God, it is he who is sovereign ruler Over the universe. Verse 22. The inhabitants are small like grasshoppers. Do you ever feel small? I do. We should feel small compared to the glory of God. We are small compared to the glory of God. But the flip side of that is good news, which we'll get to in just a second. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. I love these verbs. He stretches. He spreads them out. He reduces rulers to nothing. That's why when you and I watch the the nightly news, and the nightly news is presenting to us chaos and political upheaval involving rulers and nations, yes, we are involved, yes, we are concerned, but hey, we know that God is sovereign over it all. He reduces rulers to nothing. The kings and judges of the earth are meaningless and vain and void compared to him. Look at this word, scarce. You know, people used to tell me, make yourself scarce and go, you know. Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth. He merely blows on them all and they wither. 
The storm carries him away like stubble. Here it is again. To whom then will you liken me that I should be his equal? He has no equal. He is unequaled. He is holy, which means to be set apart, to be totally other. Isaiah chapter 6 already pointed to this. Holy, holy, holy. The, the whole earth is full of his glory. I, Isaiah is continuing this, this thought of the majesty and the holiness of God. So lift up your eyes. Look up. He created these stars. He leads them forth. He calls them by name. His greatness. His might. His strength. His power. Not one of them is missing. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing our God cannot do. The mountains are His. The rivers are His. Look, the stars are His handiwork too. I am completely blown away and I can't wrap my mind around the vastness of this universe as scientific uh, technology and discovery expands we're learning what what we already knew that the universe is infinite you know why because there's an infinite God behind it who breathed it all into existence and these pictures showing millions and millions of galaxies are actually pointing us to the majesty and the glory of God so if God is that big and that wonderful and that powerful and that, that holy, then we truly can sing, His eyes on the sparrow, and I, I know that He watches me, right? We, we can take this universal, but then we, we also know that we bring it back home to the personal. And, that, and, that's, and that's an amazing thought, isn't it? His universal sovereignty is incomparable. It's incomparable. This is very convicting because there are no secrets with God. It's very convicting because you and I have sinned and fallen short of this glory. But it's also extremely encouraging all at the same time because, as they sang in Above All, you took the fall and thought of, thought of me. Who thought of you? Who thought of me? The God who breathed all of this into existence, who sustains the universe, not one star is missing, and he knows them all and calls them all by name. His sovereignty is incomparable. Number four, his resources are inexhaustible. Stay with me here. His resources are inexhaustible. He never tires, he never wears out, he never gets empty. He is always infinitely full. So here's the test, verse 27. So why are we saying, God, you don't see me. You don't know what I'm going through. Isaiah's confronting these questions that come from our lack of faith and our lack of maturity Look at verse 27. I'm not getting what's due me. I'm not getting what's right for me. The justice due me escapes the notice of God. Uh, that's actually a statement accusing God of injustice. And accusing God of inattentiveness and apathy. 
And Isaiah is saying, that's ridiculous. Yes, he knows. Yes, he cares. Yes, he is just. Do you not know? Have you not heard? He is the everlasting God. He's the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. He never gets weary and he never gets tired. And he knows, he understands, he empathizes. And his empathy and understanding is inscrutable. It has passed every test in the history of humanity. So, he has all these resources. Look at 29 through 31, and this is where I want to make a little bit of a transition as we come to a a practical application type of conclusion. Because if God's resources are inexhaustible, what is he doing with his inexhaustible resources? If we say at times, God, you don't see, and God, you don't know, and God, you're not working for justice here, what's going on up there, God? Look at what Isaiah says. Two words at the beginning of verse 29. He gives. He gives. And so what I want to say about the fact that he gives is I want to say his generosity is incredible. It's one thing to be ruler and sovereign and have all resources and all power and all... But what is he doing with who he is and what he has? The overarching story of the Bible is that God is a generous God. He's a good God. He's a giving God. And so when I read in verse 29 that he gives strength to the weary, and those who lack might, he increases power, I said to myself, God is good. He is giving us who he is and what he has. He doesn't just have it. (laughs) Oh, he's generous in giving it. And that says something about not just the power and majesty of God, but the goodness and the grace of God. He is holy. Oh, he is also mercy. Because look at who he gives to. To the weary. To those who are low. To those who are exhausted. To those who are empty. To those who wave the white flag of surrender. To those who lack strength, in other words, they know themselves as they truly are, he increases power. Youths, young humans, in shape humans, talented humans, you can watch them stumble badly. The other day I was watching a middle school tennis match and someone asked me, why do those kids keep falling? (laughs) Well, because they're human. (laughs) By nature, we stumble. And it's not just physical. Even more so is spiritual, for all of us have sinned and fallen short. There's none who does good. No, not one. And this manifests itself physically because it's a greater reality spiritually. Yet, look at verse 31. Yet, what 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 a transitional word. Those who wait for the Lord, they gain new strength. That's why Jeff read what he read. I guess I picked a scripture and I picked a couple of the songs this week. If you listened earlier, you could tell that. But the reason I asked Jeff 
to read that is that that verse is incredible. Though outwardly we waste away, inwardly we can be renewed, what? Day by day, an inner spiritual renewal. Where does that come from? It comes from the God whose generosity is incredible. And if you will admit your need, if you will admit your fallenness, if you will admit your humanity, in contrast to the holy God, we are rotten. We are tottering. We're just like the idols that we worship and the things we make. You could go to the grocery store in my life and say, Neil, I've experienced his rottenness before too, and the same is true of me and the same is true of you. But what a God we serve. Notice the trajectory here in verse 31. They're mounting up with wings like eagles. That's fine. And then they come down to the ground, and they're running, but they're not getting tired. And then later on, they're walking, but they're not getting weary. My mind went to a conversation I had with Pastor Grady Woodruff on a walking trail in Heard County. And Mr. Grady is a wonderful man. He's not as healthy as he used to be. And he says, uh, he says how are you doing, Mr. Grady? He says, well, I'm not flying, <laughs> and I'm not running. But I'm walking, and I'm putting one foot in front of me, and God is encouraging me the whole way. What a generous, gracious, powerful God we serve. So this is what Isaiah says we ought to do. And here are our two application points. Number one, God alone is worthy of our worship. God alone is worthy of of our worship. You and I were created to worship. All of us are serving something or somebody, but it is God alone who is worthy of our worship. Our hearts and our souls were made for eternity and for God. And He alone, He alone is big enough and large enough and good enough to captivate and save and be our object of ultimate worship and devotion. Those who trust in Him will never be put to shame. Those who look to Him will never be disappointed. But, but wait a second. Right now I'm worshiping and trusting, but, but my feelings and my circumstances don't seem to be heading anywhere positive. What do I do? That's why Isaiah included the second thing. God alone is worthy of waiting. Waiting. As you worship, you and I must wait knowing that he is a generous, good, and faithful God. So let's look back and think, what happens when you worship and wait and trust and obey? What, what, what is the history of God? Well, look, for example, at the Bible and its story about Joseph, who faced injustice Mockery, wickedness, temptation, all along the way, he was waiting and trusting. And God exalted him at the end. And though others meant evil against him, God meant it for good to bring about this present good result. As Jeff mentioned, Job. 
tormented, suffering. He had his own Q&A with both his friends and with God. But look at the end of Job and consider, the Bible says, the patience of Job. The end of the story was far better than the beginning. And God restored to Job multiple of what he had lost. Look at the life of Christ himself if you want to know about the generosity and the greatness and the goodness of God. Because this infinite glorious God came down to us and took upon human flesh. He became weak. He became tired. He emptied himself of his glory, but he kept trusting in the one who is righteous and just and good. He kept kept waiting and obeying actively on the Father's will and the Father's plan. Satan offered him a shortcut. He didn't take it. He kept waiting. He kept obeying. And he dies. Not just for us, but in our place. In Isaiah 41, 31, becomes true in the resurrection in an amazing way. He ascends up to heaven flying like an eagle, right? In glory to God, and now his name is above every other name, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, all to the glory of the Father. So worship of God alone and waiting on God alone has already been shown throughout history the faithfulness and the goodness and the integrity and the righteousness of God. This is our God. Behold the everlasting God. But know that the everlasting God came down in the person of Christ and he surprisingly and graciously gave specific personal love for you and me. I'll close with an illustration. So a lot of you know that Miss Lois Sutton, our dear friend, passed last week. We already miss her. Y'all pray for Judy. Y'all pray for that family. So Terry Harper and I spoke at Miss Lois's funeral on Monday. And uh, there was a lot of laughter in that service. It was a blessed service. I felt like there were also appropriate tears and sadness. As I thought through what I said at the funeral, as I thought through what Terry said at the funeral, there was one thing that I left out that I'm now going to share with you. And Ginger Harper, I thought she was here. Children's Church, she's serving. Ginger Harper was at the funeral, and she had something on her dress, shirt, whatever she was wearing that that reminded me of this quality of Miss Lois Sutton. And Ginger was wearing something that Miss Lois had made by hand and gave to Ginger specifically. Ginger had that on at the funeral service. And as I thought back over all that, it, re- it reminded me that, you know, Miss, Miss Lois was always making things and giving things. I thought back to times when I would show up here on a Sunday morning and on my desk would be something that Lois Sutton had made personally just for me. Maybe a card, because she and Judy are the world's best at cards. (laughs) Something that she had made with her hands. 
And what was neat is that it was surprising and it was personal. The infinite God of this universe has done something surprising and personal and sacrificial for every single one of us. And as he gave his son as a sacrifice of atonement on our behalf. And if God has not withheld his son from us, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? So let's keep worshiping. But let's also keep waiting and trusting and serving and growing, knowing that God has already proven not only the, mag- the magnitude of his greatness, but the, but the power and wonder of his amazing love through the cross and the resurrection. Father, thank you that you are the everlasting God. You're an everlasting Father. And one of the repeated phrases in the Old Testament is that the Lord is good for his loving kindness is truly everlasting. It's eternal. And we thank you not only that we know who you are, but we know how you love. And, and, and just to be frank, your, your generosity is completely incredible because we deserve nothing but hell and death. But you instead, through the sacrifice of your son, has offered life and peace and heaven and spiritual strength along the way. You've promised us that you will complete the work. And you've already proven in your faithfulness and character that that is a solid fact and truth. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Now may each of us appropriate this into our lives in a way that we would go out and love and share with others what you have given to us, your strength, your power, your wisdom, your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing our hymn of invitation. You come as we sing.
in that course again. and just share with me that if God knows everything, then he also knows what's best. Isn't that true? He knows everything and he knows what is best for you and me. Hey, it's been a joy to be with all of you this morning. I do want to do for one person what we wish we could do for all, and that is wish Brandy Beverly a happy birthday. Is she still back there? Happy birthday, Brandy. Appreciate you and what you do. One thing she does that you may not know about is she coordinates feeding the Herd High football team regularly on Wednesdays. And uh, Anyway, that's not all. I, I just appreciate her as a person. Um, an Auburn Tiger fan told me that it was your birthday, so you need to try to figure out <laughs> who to get on to back there for uh, telling us about your 30th birthday. So um, the other thing, him sing tonight at 6. The adults are going to gather here. And we're just going to pick out hymns and play and sing. We're going to spend some time singing together, which I, I personally enjoy. So, Catherine, thank you um, for leading us today. Is there anything else we need to add? Choir will meet at 5, and it's important to be here this week because next week we'll be back down in Franklin for the community choir. So we have this week to get music ready for the next several weeks because next week we'll all be down in Franklin. So... It's a great time to come join us tonight at Five for Choir. And like you said, we're just going to come and sing tonight, um, which is twofold fun because you just get to sing, but also it allows us to make a list of songs to sing the upcoming weeks. So it's a perfect time to put in song requests. Let's sing the family of God together this morning. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by 
we travel this thought for I'm part of the family the family of God you have a great week